Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing another message today out of this book called Revelation. And once again, we are in chapter 20 of the book of Revelation. Working our way through, we began in chapter 1, and now we're all the way finishing up chapter 20 today. So I'd like to give you the context. The context is verses 14 and 15 of chapter 20. And I would like to read those. I invite you, if you have a copy of the, your, your copy of the Bible and would like to read it with me, then uh, I invite you to do that. It's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 14, And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you believe in hell? Do you believe that hell is a real place? Do you believe there is a literal hell? A place called hell that the Bible teaches. Well, it is a, this is a passage that ultimately consigns all of the ungodly of all ages to a place called eternally, uh, the eternal hell. Hell is, of course, uh, as it's taught, uh, a distinctively Christian doctrine. But Christianity is not the only religion in the world that speaks of eternal punishment or punishment after death. In fact, virtually every major religion in the world teaches some form of punishment after death. Some form of punishment after death for sins committed in this life. And of course, I would not have time today to go through all of those uh, major doctrines, but there are all, many of them are right there. You can check them out. They all have some form of, of teaching. And I think all of this uh, signifies that, uh, that people tend to, in their conscience, know uh, the inactivity of their heart. It stirs up a sense of, of culpability, shame, remorse, or regret in view of future and perhaps eternal accountability. It's like R.C. Sproul says in a message I heard the other day, that people everywhere have this ability inside their their bodies in their in the deep recesses of their heart or in their conscience they believe and they know that one day man is going to be held accountable and maybe punished for the sins that he has committed well christianity says this in fact jesus himself pointed to this he's listen to what jesus said in luke chapter 12 verse 5 he said, I warn you who to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed you, has the authority to cast you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Don't fear those who can kill the body, in other words, Jesus said. Fear the one who can destroy body and soul in hell. That is to fear God. And I think the scripture is pretty clear on this. You see, God is ultimately the one who will send everyone who is on their way to hell into hell. The Bible tells us that hell is a place of eternal punishment where God will forever incarcerate the wicked. And the people here we see standing here in the book of Revelation chapter 20 are being judged alongside of the standard that God has there, the perfect standard of holiness. And he stands just. And the people there are without excuse. They are without excuse, unsaved sinners, therefore will spend forever punished in hell. 
And that is what Christianity teaches. But you know the truth of that is not popular. The doctrine of hell is actually, or the doctrine of uh, eternal punishment after death is more popular among Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus uh, in, in whatever way they present it in a warped doctrine more so than the true doctrine of hell is among Christians. Christians just don't really want to believe it. There have been many polls taken. I think there was one that uh, I think John MacArthur mentions in 1977 and 1991, two polls that many years apart, three polls actually between there. If 5% of, the, of those interviewed believed they were going to hell, 65% thought they would go to heaven. And again, the, the, another poll in the 90s said basically the same thing. Uh, but what these polls don't tell you, when you go back and research these polls and look at them, they stopped asking the question, do you believe there is a literal place called hell? Because people left it blank. They didn't want to answer it. So these percentages over the years of so many people think uh, they're on their way to hell, whether it be 4 or 5%, it's not very many, but... Those that believe there is a hell believe it's for somebody else. They don't think it's for them. It's for somebody else, not them. Maybe there is such a place as hell, but it's for people like Hitler, or as one writer puts, Stalin, or Charles Manson, or, or a serial killer of today. Or, but not just for ordinary, plain folks, people who've never had any brush with the law. They're not for good people. And I'm a good people. That's what people think. That is the popular opinion of today, which is basically the gist of what we talked about last week. But beyond the popular opinion, opinion, it's amazing to me that theologians or graduates from seminary, along with many professors who call themselves evangelical, theologians who would affirm belief uh, in the Bible, reject either an eternal hell. Now, how does that happen? Well, I, I gave an interview, uh, I think, last Easter, and I'll probably mention that interview again this East, next Easter, that out of all of those that graduated from seminary in a, in, in a poll taken, not I didn't get all the graduates, but from many of the uh, seminaries across our country, most did not believe in a bodily resurrection. Something like 16% believe in a bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are people going out filling pulpits across our, our country and our land today. Well, many of them do not believe in a literal hell. They just don't believe there is the Bible teaches on hell. There's a new theology even coming out today, or that's been out, but it's, it's called an open theology. And uh, there's a lot of things that people are saying, but the, many are joining forces with uh, those that are saying... You know, God is a God of love. And there is no, God is not going to punish people in hell. It's just not going to happen. A lot of people choose to believe universalism, where they, where it says everybody's going to be saved. Well, that frees you up from having to believe in a hell. Others decide there's an annihilationism. That just believes that people go into non-existence. Some believe in soul sleep with a permanent state of unconsciousness. Others would believe in a temporary period of punishment, but no one can accept Scripture as true and deny eternal punishment. How do you say the Bible is true and deny eternal punishment? And the reason I say that 
It's because it is so clearly taught in the Scriptures. Because you see, here's one, one thing right here. And let me give it to you. The same terms that describe eternal punishment describe eternal God. The same phraseology, the same words. So if there's no eternal punishment, then what does that say about an eternal God? The same phrases, the same original terms, the same words that describe eternal punishment also describe eternal life. So if there is no eternal punishment, then there is no eternal life. Is that the way we look at it? Of course not. People just don't want to believe that part of the doctrine. They don't want to see it. Matthew chapter 25, and well, I've talked about this a couple of times in this particular chapter. The, what we call the sheep-goat judgment or the final judgment before the kingdom uh, in, uh, life is decided. Who's going into the kingdom and who's not? It says in Matthew chapter 25, listen to what this verse says. They, they will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous into eternal life. You see, these two terms, eternal punishment and eternal life, same phrases, same way to describe both. So the issue of hell is not to be decided by a poll. It's not decided by emotion. It's not decided by reason. It's decided by revelation. In fact, we see right here in Revelation chapter 20, the issue is decided upon whether their names are listed in the Lamb's book of life or not. And then we saw how they got their names into the Lamb's book of life already. So it's decided by God. All of us could wish from a human perspective, that hell didn't exist. But hell does exist. There is a literal place called hell. And that's what this passage is about to, uh, to reveal to us. As I've read this, it talks about that place. So what I want to do is I want to ask and answer the question, well, really, what is it? Is it real? How can we know it's for real? And we've already been seen. We've already seen this, <clears throat> that this is a real place. All sinners will be raised. They will be given new spiritual bodies suited to eternal torment in the time of this great white throne judgment, as it's called. The last act of judgment and involves the ungodly of all ages coming before the final throne of God for their sentence. And God is right to be their judge because it is against him that they have sinned. According to Psalm 51, 4, says, so that God is justified, says the psalmist, when he speaks in the blameless, when he judges them, because they are genuinely guilty. Yeah, none of these people standing here in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 12, when it says, I saw the uh, small and the dead, I saw the dead, the great and the small standing before the throne. Books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. They will all be proven guilty. We've seen this, basically, as we've worked our way through Revelation chapter 20. We saw, as is the outline that I've given you, and I'm still in that outline. Uh, number one, uh, basically, Revelation chapter uh, four, uh, 20, verses four, 11 through 15, which is the whole context here. Number one is the picture, or the scene in heaven, and that is of a great white throne. And number two, the people. The people there are all the ungodly of all the ages standing before God. And the books were opened and they're being judged. That's the, that's the, the scene of all these people here. Daniel sees it in chapter 7. And the problem that we presented last time is the standard by which they are being judged. 
It says in verse 12, the books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life. Listen to this. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Every one of them. That means every action, every deed, every thought, every good act, every bad act, everything in their life has been recorded. Well, if that's all going to be judged, what was the standard that we mentioned? Well, the standard last week we mentioned is that God's absolute perfect holiness. Anyone who violates, who has ever violated the law of God, one time even, if there is such a person, falls short of that and they're guilty of this judgment. Man, that, that is something. What a, what, a, what a standard. We can't stand up against that standard. We can't make it. We have no righteousness. Romans, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. We're all cursed. Cursed is everyone who breaks the law at any point, he says in Galatians 3. So the standard is perfection. That's why we have to have Christ, because when we go to heaven and we stand in, 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 the second, in Corinthians according to the great uh, the. Uh, judgment seat of Christ or the reward seat of Christ. Man, we're standing there in the perfect righteousness of Christ. We're clothed in His righteousness. We have none. So the standard is perfection. Nobody meets that standard, so all are proven guilty by the record of their own failures. And God has kept the exact books. I like the way someone put it. Sovereignty of God. The omniscience of God has recorded it all. Everything. Oh, we can't even remember all of it. But God's omniscience has recorded it. The tragedy is that none of the folks at this judgment have their names in the book of life. And we saw that last time. So what's next for them? Well, what's next is verses 14 and 15. All these people standing, they're being judged by the, by the books that were opened. Look at what verse 14 and 15 says. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. That's the way it starts. So this is the sentence. This is the penalty for what they are being proven guilty of. This is, they are proven guilty and this is the penalty for that. Verses 14 and 15. Now he starts out by saying death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. Death and Hades, we've covered that already, so there's no sense to go back over that. It's just the grave and the place of the ungodly dead, terms any student of the Old Testament or New Testament would understand. So when he says they're thrown into the lake of fire, he simply means they go out of existence. They're swallowed up by the final hell. This is the eternal realm of punishment. And people who are suffering now, who are suffering in their spirit only in, in Hades, because they have no resurrection of the body yet, that will be joined with them. And that will happen at that great white throne. And I know that's difficult to understand. I don't mean to rush through that. I've just already covered that in previous lessons. But it's amazing how specific the scripture is. Hell is that utterly separate from any outside, uh, or from the outside and prior created universe. It's, it's between the, 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 the point where the, the old heaven and the old earth have already been destroyed and the new one in has not been created yet. So somewhere out there is this. Hades goes out of existence. And with it, in the place of the ungodly dead, they, they go out of existence into a new place that is prepared. Somewhere outside and beyond this created order as we know it. And who, who can explain that? Well, nobody can. 
But you say, is God preparing hell now? Well, I think hell's prepared. You know, but I don't know. I mean, we, we can't be dogmatic about some things. Hell is prepared for the devil and the angels, Christ says. We could assume that it's prepared. Uh, there is an eternal heaven already prepared outside the universe as we know it. it. It would have to be because the universe is touched with sin and faithful, fallenness. So why not already have a place for the devil and his angels to occupy? But hell at this point is unoccupied. The first occupants, we're told, of hell, no one's ever been there yet, is actually the beast and the false prophet, the Antichrist and the false prophet. We found that in Revelation chapter 19, verse 20. Technically, they become the first occupants of the eternal hell. And then a thousand years later, in chapter this chapter, chapter 20 of Revelation, verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where, he says, the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So the devil's thrown in there. We can assume the devil and all his angels go in together into that place. I tell you something, while there's no one current time occupying hell, still they're not, they're not there. Even though Scripture tells us who's going to be the first occupants, that hasn't happened yet. That's at the end of the tribulation period. It's never been occupied. No one's ever been there, as far as we know. The, the, the scripture does not record anyone ever being there. The, the Antichrist and the false prophet will be the first ones there. And so we, we see that, uh, as the verse mentioned uh, that I said where Jesus says, fear those who can kill body and soul. Uh, Jesus says it again in Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but are able to kill the soul. Fear him. Who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell? Man, it's, it's God. So those who die now in their sins, well, they go to a temporary place and we, we've already covered that. So I don't want to go into, into that again. But I want to give you something here that uh, I need you to think about something. When you talk about the final punishment, most commonly fire is referred to. 25 times in the New Testament refers to the flames of hell. Most of those times the words of Jesus himself. And people always ask the question, well, will it be the literal fire? As we understand literal fire? And the answer is, it's not like the fire you see here. It's not like the fire we understand. It will be a, another kind of fire, which will probably be a lot worse than what the picture could give us. But we don't know. The created orders, we know it is gone. Whatever this fire represents will be something that is as real as the eternality in which it exists. It's enough to know that it's like the lake of fire. I mean, we... we, we we can visualize what that could be. If it's not the same literal fire we know now, then it's probably much worse. But it conveys what the Lord wanted to convey by John seeing this and recording it in this book. Now, southwest of the city of Jerusalem is a city called the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. The Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Some say Ben-Hinnom. Uh, was for a long time the city dump of Jerusalem. The, it was the garbage, the refuge of the city was taken into the valley of Ben-Hinnom and it was then thrown into that valley and there were fires there that were lit that would never went out because there was always stuff to be burned there. And that valley was known for fire and smoke and you know everything that goes along with dead trash or dead 
uh, whatever it was. Dead bodies were even thrown in there. Corpses of criminals were thrown there. People were not worthy to be buried and strangers were thrown there and let their bodies decay there. And so there was always uh, just probably all the insects and the stench and <clears throat> uh, the valley of Ben-Hinnom was a filthy, unending fire, uh, garbage, filth, refuge, and corpses. And it was a frightening and fearful place. And when Jesus looked at that indescribable, horrible place where the worm never dies, it says, but fed on constant flow of refuge, the fire never went out. He said, that's Gehenna. That's hell. A very vivid term to describe the indescribable. The New Testament describes this place uh, as prepared by the, for the devil and his angels. Uh, it's a place that is prepared for the ungodly. The Bible says, as you notice here in chapter 20, verse 10, the torment goes on day and night forever and ever. That means all time. But you know, there's several different things that the body, the Bible gives us to refer to this place called hell. It's a place of darkness. It's Matthew chapter 8, verse 12, Matthew 22, Matthew 25. <clears throat> it's called the place of outer darkness. I'm sure night after night the sun would go down on the hills around Ben-Hinnom because there was no one lived there. There's no lights there. There's no candles. There would be no torches. Nothing there but smoldering, burning refuge and, and the, uh, this black smoke that you could probably see, not to mention the smell. There would be nothing to light the place because there would be no life there. That was the picture of darkness, outer darkness. And this is the word used to describe hell. You think, wow, that's, that just sounds absolutely awful. And then it says the worm never dies. Uh, it talks about the worm, and Isaiah stated this, Isaiah 66, 24. The worm will not die. Mark 9, 48 picks up in the New Testament. The worm will never die. In other words, the refuge will burn forever, and the maggots, as it were, will eat forever. There's always something there. But most commentaries, in speaking through and looking, through, reading through, uh, whether it be uh, Luke or Mark or Jude or Isaiah or Revelation, talks about the gnawing worm is emblematic of the conscience. Uh, it, uh, I know John MacArthur mentions this in his book, The Vanishing Conscience. I really do believe that one of the greatest components of the eternal suffering is going to be fully informed from your own body, your own mind, telling you stuff. Your conscience is condemning you. Absolutely relentless. It can be depicted as the worm that never dies, but just gnaws away at your thinking. Some feel the black darkness is the absence of anything good, the absence of anything else to see or to be with. So you're alone. But the, in verse 30 of Psalm 11, and uh, not Psalm 11, Psalm 11 verse 6 uh, talks about the fire. Uh, Isaiah 30 uh, says this. Uh, I just want to read you this one verse as Isaiah is talking about the judgment of God. He says in verse 30 of Isaiah 30, The Lord will cause His voice of authority to be heard. And describing or descending of His arm to be seen in fierce anger and in the flames of a consuming fire. In other words, God is coming is going to come in the judgment of fire. And then down in verse 33, he says, For uh, Topeth 
has long been ready. And again, that leads to me to believe that hell is already a place ready because he refers to this hell as a place called Tapeth. It's, it's found in Isaiah chapter 30. Now, Tapeth is a very interesting word. You know, uh, Tapeth refers to, it refers to, would you believe it, the valley of Ben-Hinnon. Uh, that we talked that I've talked about the southeast city uh, or refuge place of uh, outside Jerusalem, but this was before it was that that dump. In other words, what was it before? It was a city dump. Well, it was called uh, Topeth. I'll tell you, it was a place where uh, it, it's a terrible place. Let me just just kind of describe that place for you. The same place that we're talking about, Ben Hinnom, was once called Topeth, and it was a, a place where children and sacrifices were burned alive to the pagan god Molech. You say, well, you mean the children of Israel? Yes, some people would do that. The pagan nations in the land of Canaan had done it, and some of the children of Israel joined in in what is what would be called unbelievable worship. It was in the valley of Hinnom where the altar of Molech was. That's one of the reasons that the Jews put the city dump there, because it was such a vile foul, and desecrated place. So Toleph has been ready. It's the place ready. It's referred to as ready. Uh, it changed the name, but it's been prepared for the king. He has made it, deep, made it deep and large. Who's the king? God is the king. This is what Isaiah is talking about. This is a, a talking about it's, it's, it's wide, it's deep, it is filled with brimstone, and once the pagans made a fire there to offer the babies as living burnt offerings to the god of Moloch, and the day is going on, and it's going long, and this is what he's talking about. And there's coming another day in which the resurrected ungodly will burn in fires. But this is one of the places where, where the pagan gods, Moloch, and the people who were involved in that false religion were mocking God by burning of bodies and they would burn dead bodies as well as sometimes human sacrifices children and babies being burned alive it was a way of of mocking the created god the creator god of israel by taking so-called what they would say is we're all created in the image of god and they would burn that body and take that very fire and offer it in a burnt offering to their god Moloch. Man, what a blasphemous thing to do. That's the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. It has some history, doesn't it? It's also referred to as Gehenna. But let me tell you something. There's always been something about the burning of the bodies that pagans would use to mock Christianity, to mock believing countries or people. That's why I think it's wrong for people today, in my opinion, my personal opinion, for cremation. And it's amazing how many people fall into the, the, the cremation mode because it's, it becomes a financial matter. They don't even look at the fact of what Scripture might have to say about that. I just don't think it's right for cremation to be a Christian's choice for what to do with the body of a loved one. It ought to be burial. It's always been burial. And that's my personal opinion. Uh, I'm not advocating a, 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 a rant against that or whatever. But each individual needs to think about that. They need to consider, seek counsel on what to do 
when a loved one dies? Do you bury them or do you cremate them? I would choose to bury the body. It's a respect for the dead. It's a reverence for the dead. And that's, I know that people can come up with all kinds of other things. Well, the bodies have been disintegrated. They've been long gone 2,000 years ago and God can put them back together again. I don't think that's the point. So I would say this is a, a, a picture of that. The Valley of Ben-Hinnom has some history uh, called Gehenna. God refers to it again by the picture there of, of hell. And the lake of fire is associated with, with other words. The darkness, gnawing, unrelenting guilt, the worm that never dies, unquenchable fire or torment. And, and then there's more. The lake of fire is also associated with other things like banishment. Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 22. Uh, uh, cast out. The idea of being banished, being cast out of society or a town or a country meant you were banished. That's also the idea of separation. So when you're banished, you're banished into outer darkness, which implies this banishment separates them completely. That's what Luke 16 talks about. And then there's another phrase that's associated with hell, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this indicates uh, a sorrow, the darkness, worm, never dies, a banishment, separation, torment, produces absolutely unbelievable results, immeasurable sorrow. Luke 13, 28. Listen to what Luke 13, 28 says. I'm trying to get just as much about hell in here as I can so you can begin to see there is a theology. Listen to what Luke 13, 28 says. I want you to hear that. Mark it, write it down. Luke 13, 28. The Lord says, I don't know where you're from. Depart from me, you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves being cast out. Wow, that's an unbelievable verse. Here's what that verse means. That before they're cast into hell, the last image or picture they're going to see is they're going to see and have a glimpse of glory. Somewhere, somehow, before they're cast out, they're going to see, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to get a glimpse of the glory of the saints as a last vision before they're cast into hell so that they will know exactly what they have forfeited and hence the term weeping and gnashing of teeth. You'll find it in Matthew 8, Matthew 22, Matthew 13, Matthew 25, and Matthew 24. Well, what about this gnashing of teeth? What is that? Well, I don't, I don't want to read anything into this, but if you just look at the expression gnashing of teeth in the Bible, it's associated with anger. That's what it is. It's associated with that anger. You can read it in Job 16, verse 9. His anger has torn me and hunted me down. He has gnashed at me with his teeth. It's an uncontrollable anger. You see that it's an expression. Uh, you see that in the expression. It's, it's grinding, gnawing anger, hatred, hostility, the gnashing of teeth. And then there's another word. I want you to notice this in verse 14 and 15. Look at what verse 14 says. Death and Hades were thrown. See that word thrown? And then verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown. There's another word, thrown. Thrown is the word, and it means it's thrown out. It's tossed. You stand in a higher place, and you toss it. 
This is the word used. We even talk about it today. In the, in the vernacular of today's English, we say, throw out the garbage. Or, uh, honey, throw out the trash. It has the idea of discarding it at a, at a far a farther distance than where you are, getting it as far away from you as you can get it, where you want it to land. It speaks of a despicable quality. Hell is God's... I like this is what uh, uh, Josh McDowell says. Hell is God's cosmic dump. It's all who will go there will be the burning garbage of eternity. Man, think about that. All of this. We find that right there in Amos chapter 4, verse 12 where it also says, prepare to meet your God. Prepare to meet God. That's all we have to ask ourselves. Are we prepared to meet God? Because you're going to meet Him. You're either going to meet Him in glory, in heaven, or you're going to meet Him at the great white throne. It's like Amos said. It's your choice. You know, if we were looking at heaven as a, a heaven... In hell, between two different doors, door number one is heaven and described in the full glory of heaven, and door number two being hell in the full despicable form of what, what hell actually is, and you tell someone to choose, they would naturally choose. You would think, door number one, I'll take door number one. Of course I'll take door number one. Door number one's heaven. Well, if that's the case, who would dare choose door number two? Hell. Well, Matthew chapter 7 also says, The way to destruction is broad, wide. Many there will be to follow it. Few will find the narrow, straight way to heaven. It's your choice, as Amos 4.12 says. Prepare to meet your God. Thank you for joining me today in Hope for the Heart. This has been William Rogers bringing another message out of the book of Revelation.